Hey, uh, I got a joke for you. Okay. How do you know the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Welcome wait, to a wait, perfect. I've heard this. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I want. I, I, I want knew, this. I know this. I knew this. I want it followed up by because an intro. you told it to me before. I mean, it depends. <laughs> Is that the joke? Is that the one-liner? Depends. No. Diapers. Poop. No, no, day? I, okay. I, don't, right. I don't remember the answer. Are you gonna see it later or after a while? Oh, <laughs> hey Django, that was actually good. That was not that, that not that you don't not that you're. Hey, not that you're generally subpar. I stole it from a guy oh. uh, on stage at a union meeting on Labor Day in Great Falls, Montana. Wait, what were you doing at a union meeting in Great Falls? None of your fucking business, Roman. <laughs> this is fascinating. <laughs> podcast by the comics place in bellingham washington where every week we read a bunch of comics talk about a bunch of comics and uh try to make each other laugh if you believe whatcom talk i uh <laughs> i burped and actually had things come up i as watched started it. that intro I watched like, it. you can really tell in my eyes but also the back of my throat taste we're gonna spoil some comics we're gonna talk about some comics uh jeff is that the order of the comics that we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about Batman, number 54. We're going to talk about Cosmic Ghost Rider, number 3. United States of Murder, Incorporated, volume 2, number 1. We're going to talk about Brian Michael Bendis's and David Mack's cover, number 1. We're going to talk about the Silver Surfer Annual, number 1. I'm not sure that that's actually the first Silver Surfer Annual that's ever happened, but we're going to, you know. It is. Well, is it? Is it really? No. No, but I love that you believed me. You. Holy shit. <laughs> Monster. I'm trying to find that email from Dino, and I can't you find it anywhere. everything you tell the us. The Dino mail. Uh, we're going to talk about border town number one. And we're also going to talk about the Immortal Hulk number one, two, three, four, five. I love it. All five issues this week. Five issues. And because Django's not read it, and we got to get him caught up. You know, sounds like we might have an email from Dino. You we, again, what did I just tell you? I don't have it. Maybe, I don't have it. Maybe I do, and I haven't found it. Oh, my God. I don't know. I, I really don't know. That's what I love about having you around. Uh, maybe, we're also... Maybe I do, and I'm just not revealing it. Jesus Christ. Oh. Who are you, boys? Oh. <laughs> I'm Django, and I put almost 1,800 miles on my brand new Coleman cooler this week. I'm Jeff Figley, and uh, I threw up a little bit in that intro. My teeth really hurt. My nasal cavities are just congested as I'll get out. My eyes are real sensitive to what seemed like just air particulates, and I ate too much pizza before I came down here, and I felt <laughs> nauseous for about 40 minutes, which may have contributed to the vomit that was residing in the back of my throat. Just a paste. Just a little paste of it. <laughs> just a little paste, huh? Wow. Just a little paste of it. But you should put that red cup in front of you in case you need a, a receptacle. If you're going to hurl, hurl yeah. in this. Yeah, yeah. Dude, if yeah. you throw up enough that a red Dixie cup is going to help, <laughs> you're throwing up wrong. I throw up enough that a red, red it's a solo cup. Sorry. It's a solo cup. A red solo dude. cup. That is 100% solo. That's right what, what is hey, it? Hey, listeners, 
That's the sound of a solo cup, right? Is that there. 13 ounces? Uh, I don't know. They've got all these different lines on it, so you can know about different amounts of liquid. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. That's thirteen ounces. He counted all of them. You should see how good he is at adjusting ounce distribution for the increasing radius of a cup as it gets <laughs> taller with height. I'm just saying, if you throw up, it better be more than 13 ounces or it's not even worth the, the trouble. I do a less than 13 ounces a lot. And is it Rowan? Wow. Wow. It's Roman. And I'm supposed to talk about comics now, but all I can think about is the, the various quantifiable dif differences between solo cups and Dixie cups. I'm wondering what a listserv is. I'm wondering what a what a blockchain whatever thing what is. What about a lodestar? <laughs> Matt Wagner on the, <laughs> on the art here. Tom King. Tomu Mori, colorist. Now, originally, Matt Wagner's son was supposed to do the coloring for this, and he did it, and then DC said it couldn't be him because they didn't like his palette, and they hired somebody else to do the coloring. But then it sounded like maybe they were giving his son a second chance to do the coloring, and I don't know if Tommy Moreau is his son or not. He's not. Okay. Uh, it's Brendan Wagner, I think. Cool. Well, they took him off. Oh, yeah. His name's on here on the cover. Okay. So he did Matt the cover and colors. Wagner on the cover. Yeah. And well, okay. did the interiors. I, I, I've met him. And? I liked him. Oh. He did a bunch of the coloring on the Shadow comics Brendan? that his dad did. Yeah. Famili it's, it's, it seems um, fitting that he would have finally worked his way up to Batman. No no real diss on him, but I really like the colors that they went with here. I do, too. And I, I don't know what it was that would have been too out of their palette, like unless it was just neon acid colors. But I mean, honestly, I don't think it's just the colors, but this, the, the main cover, I would put that in the bottom number one cover of this Batman run. Like, I, I don't think that... I it's, think if I were ranking these... Best to worst, this would be on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, the wow, really? I love this cover. Jesus fucking Christ, I quit. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, no, 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 it's, it's good the, to have it's very nostalgic. Get in the pot. Get in I, the I pot love, with I, us. Get some gumbo. I brewing. love this nostalgia up there and then the current, you know, team. Yeah, it the definitely current, is that, current Frank Miller up there. Yeah. But the insides, though. What happened in this issue? Are we still just in the wake of Batman getting stuck at the altar? Do we feel yep. like we want to hang out in this space for a long time? So, I mean, we've got uh, kind of flash flashbacks mixed with not flashbacks. And uh, it's Dick and Bats hanging out. And Dick being a wise, cracking young man. But kind of also just being a wise, cracking young man because he's got to be a wise, cracking young man because his, his pseudo-pops is all real bummed out. You think that's what's going on? He's, like, overcompensating with the goof to, to kind of balance Bruce's dourness? I yeah. think that, he, yeah, he's just refusing to let the dour affect him because he knows that if it were up to Bruce, he would only be dour right now, but he needs there to be some not dour, even though he doesn't want that. Yeah, it's one of the things I really liked about this story because Dick is totally living up to the whole reason Robin existed originally right. was to counterbalance Batman's dark, brooding, serious. Batman needs a Robin. Batman S. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess Batman was kind of doing similar stuff throughout. So this is like a role reversal where the where the father becomes the one that has to be taken care of there. And it's pretty awesome that they do intersplice all these flashbacks to when like Dick started living with Bruce and. It's, I don't know, I, I'm a sucker for this type of stuff. I'm just a sucker for people trying. Yeah. And there's just a lot of people going out of their comfort zone 
for the sake of somebody else on this issue. Um, and I, I'm, that's a that's a that's a thing I like. That's a, a thing I want to read. And I really like whatever. Um, complex history we're weaving for the cucumber sandwiches here. And I love the cucumber <laughs> sandwiches being used as a metaphor for not giving up on each other. I did, oh man, I did too. It made me think, you know, guys, we gotta get cucumber sandwiches from, I eat them all from the that place time. in Fairhaven, the the, the tea place. Um, oh, I was gonna cre- buy a cre- fucking cucumber. Cre- I, well, because cre- cucumbers <laughs> are one of my favorite Well, yeah, but I like it things. served to me. Oh, I don't want to have to make dude, it. Dude, <laughs> you get a toast, you get a layer of cream cheese, and then you cuke it up. And that's what creativity, I'm into. that's it. Dill? Sure. Try that would dill. be absolutely great on it. Absolutely. Yeah. A yeah. little bit of salt. Yeah. Uh, some some pepper if you're feeling uh, saucy. Like you need some spice. Yeah. Like, like ground black pepper. Or cayenne is even better. You know, I used to hate cucumber sandwiches. Like, hate them. But Batman says, I remember. He says, Yeah? You remember what you told me? My father loved cucumber sandwiches. I just told you what he told me. Don't give up on them. Keep trying again and again because I swear they're worth it. What an awesome, huge thing to tuck into a cucumber metaphor. Like, like what? <laughs> and that, like, what I love about that is it's so sincere and powerful, but also, like, comically dis. Dis, there's a disparity between the weight of what they're talking about and then cucumber sandwiches. But there's also yeah. this huge history of cucumber sandwiches. Is is cucumber sandwiches going to be the main thing that we talk about from Batman 54? Is that the main takeaway? God, I hope. Not the, not the main thing. I mean, there's all these great moments. I, you give me one that trumps the cute cu- juice. I don't know if God, it trumps the cute. Trump. Both of you. Oh, okay. God. I, I, don't know, I don't know if it supersedes. supersedes. Oh, jeez. That's what I was thinking. Um, I like supersedes the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the cucumber sandwiches, but when... We see this flashback where Dick obviously tried to tried to do acrobatics with the chandelier and pulled the uh-huh. whole thing down, and and Bruce is like you could have killed yourself, and, and and Dick just looks up at him with you know his face is bleeding. He's like, I'm a flying Grayson. I was flying. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, this was really really well written. Um, I almost I almost feel like maybe there was a meta thing going on with Matt Wagner and his son. I think so too. Working together on it, hmm. which I think is like Matt Wagner then released a big statement about how fucking pissed he was at DC for really? taking him off and that yeah. he wished he had never done it. Um, and yeah, I think the whole thing is kind of about fathers and sons and and mm-hmm. and the, the the strength of that bond. Uh, I love that they brought in uh, Condiment Man. I don't I don't want to I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves no, here. No, we would but, never. Um, I think it's the next issue that something major is going to happen in Batman. I ordered extra just in case. Yeah, I think uh, Dick's going to get hurt. No, we better not. He's my favorite Robin. I think Tim's going to get hurt. Oh, he's my second favorite Robin. Why would Tim get hurt? Because everyone thinks Tim's going to get killed right now. Why can't now? they just kill Jason really? Todd? Um, I guess they already, already did. did. <laughs> well, yeah, everyone thinks... But also... The first issue... Sorry, everybody. Let's see. They sit around this here. Heroes in a crisis corner together here. (laughs) A lot of paranoia. A lot of what have yous. So, my first thought was that it was either going to be Arsenal or Kyle Rayner. But... Oh, because they're going to kill one of the Teen Titans? They're killing somebody that's relatively important. I don't think they can go much more important than that level of character. Yeah. Um, So, I was pretty sure it was going to be Kyle Rayner. But then... The first issue that comes out related to Heroes in Crisis at all is Green Arrow, and it comes out before Heroes in Crisis, and it's the the first tie-in. It's the first thing related to it at all. 
Okay. So that made me think that it's probably going to be Arsenal. Um, also, Starfire is looking pretty bummed out in that big old Heroes in Crisis ad, and she had something with him, right? I don't know. I don't Did trust she? those. Ads. I don't know. She used to. She used to be with Dick Grayson, like, pre-Crisis okay. or whatever. Um, but then, for some reason, a whole bunch of people, were, I was just reading, think that it's going to be Tim Drake. And I don't remember why that was going to be. But anyway, somebody's going to die. I really like I like a big mystery like this. I hope that it lives up to the hype, but I'm very excited for Heroes in Crisis. Man, if they, if they kill Tim... I'm going to have words with Jim Lee when he comes in on Sunday. Uh, you missed that. That was a last week thing, and it never happened. I wonder who's master. I don't even know what's real anymore. <laughs> you remind me of my stuffed bear, Barry. <laughs> I don't know what's real. That was Barry. That was a good Barry impersonation. Uh, listen, that I would give this Batman, uh, I think, a seven and a half. I was going to say seven and a half. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'd give seven and a half just to this page. I'll give it an eight and a half. Nice. For the cucumber sandwiches and the, the oh, Batman no, tears. I'll go up to an eight for the cute for the cute stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was I love a lot in it that res- resonated with me. And yeah, I know what you mean about his art, but like I'm currently I'm reading Mage, his current chapter of Mage, and I, I just love his stuff still. I really want to read that book. This panel when Dick bounces, makes the bet with Bruce. Well, Bruce doesn't take it, but Dick makes the bet anyway. And he bounces his truncheon around mm-hmm. everything. That that's awesome. I've never been bounced trunching that much. But um, <laughs> speaking of bouncing, bouncing forward, bouncing backwards, sideways in time. Oh, slide. slide. 10, 20, 30, 100, 40. Roman, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Cosmic Ghost Rider. are the flaming, uh, perverse, debaucherous... Uh, I'm Shatterstar? ...man that I have chained myself to. I'm Actually, sorry, I that's Shatterstar. a pretty accurate description of Django. Um, <laughs> both, both of y'all are sort of the Cosmic Ghost Rider to my baby Thanos. I think you used uh, natural fibers to tie yourself to Roman. Because everything else about that description is right. It's an umbilical cord thing. Natural fibers. <laughs> wow, you saw that character in My Hero Academia. Cosmic Ghost Rider, number three, <laughs> by Juggernaut. Donnie Cates and Dylan Burnett, Antonio Fabella on colors. When we when when something like that happens, is there a switch in your mind that's like, yep, going to cut this out? No, no. <laughs> uh, you know why? Because my brain can't hold all those moments. So So... Many. So I've just had to sort of hope that it's a running bit where things get awkward and then there's an abrupt <laughs> cut in actual conversation that just sounds like a cut. I like that because, yeah, it sounds like bad editing, but it's just bad talking. And I worry a lot about bad editing, so you think would maybe I would about give, that. <laughs> yeah. In our third year, let's change the name to Perfectly Awkward comics podcast i feel like that's just clearly part of it enough <laughs> two on the nose so i tell you what again i just don't care about the guardians of the galaxy oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh how can you not um they're so cool i just have never read a good story with them Wh- which but version? i have not read stories with them so there's that and i Wh- like the movies but which <clears throat> which guardians of the galaxy so like the, the the famous team is as soon as they say we're the Guardians of the Galaxy with any team, oh. like a thing just goes on in my brain where I'm like, what else am I going to do today? <laughs> Even if it's Cable, Kamala Khan, Captain America, Juggernaut as Howard the Duck, uh, Rocket Raccoon in a... I don't think that I care a ton about teams that are time displaced. Okay. Oh, I so like the Exiles. Yeah, I mean like... I'm Fantastic inter- Four a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I like a team book if it makes sense that I know these characters aren't together. But if you give me a team from far in the future that I don't understand why they're there, who they are, like, I would be interested in any of these characters solo. But as soon as there's a team dynamic that I can't be familiar with at all, 
I wonder if you would have liked the original Guardians who were, for the most part, in the future. Every now and then would come back and hang out with the Avengers or something. But Is that like... That that's way before the like the Abnett and Landing books. Yeah, but yeah. were the Abnett and Landing ones that same cast of characters? No, it was. I mean, a couple of them, like Charlie Twenty Seven and Yondu. Yondu was, was in, the movie, in those original but, ones. Yeah, back when yeah, he was Starhawk. Like, Listen, Donny Cates does this thing where he takes a bunch of comics and he cuts them up and then he puts them on the ground and he tapes them back together. He's like the William S. Burroughs of modern comic books, but way. Less thoughtful and, and more entertaining. Just so much fun, so much fun. Yeah. That being said, like I did really like <clears> this <throat> issue. It's just there's a and it's a it's a testament to his writing and how clever and fun it is. But uh, you know the this was my least favorite of the three oh, issues. Of this I couldn't series. say that. Yeah, I couldn't say that. So in this uh, last issue, the Guardians of the Galaxy showed up, and they were just all those characters that I mentioned, which don't make any goddamn sense and uh, in this issue he starts out by fighting them but he doesn't want to kill anybody because he doesn't want to set a bad example for baby thanos and it looks like he's about to beat them and then cable slides and comes back with a different team and better and smarter well first first he comes back and he shrinks down uh, galactus and shoots him off into space shrunken and gets rid of him and then he almost gets beat by Ghost Rider again and he slides away and he comes back with a new team. Can I interrupt? Yep. By slide cable for those of you who don't know, he time slides. So yeah. he, so he disappears and is gone for X amount of time and comes back. Comes back after training to beat him. And he just does this over and over. One of my favorite scenes is when Ghost Rider realizes he can't beat them and shield Thanos, baby Thanos from seeing murder. So he throws baby Thanos to the Watcher, which just like the little thumbnail-sized body language of the Watcher in both of those panels <laughs> cracked me up. <clears throat> Cable just keeps going away and coming back with other people for him to fight. And by the end, um, he's like, dude, I'm telling you, your plan of keeping baby Thanos from learning how to be a bad guy is... No good, because we're worst. from that future where he grows up with you as his dad. And the last page is just this amazing reveal. I, I got so excited reading this on the couch. No, we're I, I give this an eight and a half. It's, uh, it's I'd go eight and a half, too. Stupid, stupid, stupid. And every time it comes out, it's more fun than I've had reading a comic in a month. He has not so quietly become... Just about my favorite writer doing stuff actively right now. Yeah. I think he's hilarious and amazing, and I am more excited to read his books than any other books right now. Rome Pig? I'll give it an eight. I would have given it a, the extra half, except I was so excited to read about Juggernaut, Jugger-Duck, especially after this cover. Oh, we'll get more Juggernaut. We'll be getting it gets melted, like with We're going to get pages. more Juggernaut. That's going to be think? a thing that he joyously brings up again. I bet in his Guardians of the Galaxy run, mm, yeah. which. Spoilers, I guess now is a good moment to bring that up. Donny Cates also wrote Thanos Legacy this week, and that's Django's Buckshot. So we'll wait. We'll wait for that. No, but it, like in this, the, the ads in the back okay. are that issue is awesome, but it alludes to a thing, and then at the end there's a full double page spread announcing that Donny Cates is going to be writing Guardians of the Galaxy, and in that double page spread it's got. <clears throat> 
you can see that everything he's kind of done comes into this. Yeah, and this is amazing because this is everybody who's ever been in every team of Guardians plus people who have never been like the Imperial Guard and Darkhawk, the Super Scroll. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've got Beta Ray Bill, which just came up in Death of Inhumans this week. Oh, you got yeah. Cosmic Ghost Rider back there. Ronin was in Death of Inhumans. Adam Warlock's there. Howard the Duck for some reason. Yeah, Galactus. Like you know the reason. Cosmo. Because no one can write a decent Guardians of the Galaxy book. No, so he can smash him into Juggernaut and turn him into Juggernaut. Yeah, we're gonna get Juggernaut in this book. As long as we get Juggernaut and Charlie Twenty Seven just smashing. Who's Charlie Twenty Seven? It's the big bear-looking dude oh, in the, okay. the leather-studded. Nice. Bandolier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you guys read any Bendis books this week? Oh my god. I don't I don't know if we have a clever thing like the Kate's Gate. I forgot to mention the Kate's Gate. Oh, the Kate's Gate. Oh, let's erase all the stuff that we just talked about so we can introduce Tell it. Tell us by about the that Kate. Kate's Gate. Well, you've got to enter the Kate's Gate to get to the center of the mind's eye. It doesn't work as well after the fact, but let's think of a clever thing for Bendis. The Bendis bookshelf um, for the, some the, stupid The Bendis over? What? I can't think of anything. I read The United Thank States you. of Murder, Inc., number one. <laughs> I think this was like uh, two trades or one trade that came out before this. Yeah, I, I think it was less than 10 what? issues. Wait, what are you talking about? The this United is a previous States thing? of yeah. Murder, Inc. by it's Brian Michael States Bendis. It's the versus Murder, Inc. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe the old one was United States of Murder, Inc. Yeah, I, th I thought that this was a true. whole new No, this thing. is definitely a follow-up to the Bendis-Oming United States of Murder Incorporated that came out oh. at the old store. Brian yeah. Michael Bendis, Michael Avon Oming, uh, colors by Taki Soma. This was a great, great team-up of, of writer and artist, of writer, artist, and colorist, of... Old grizzled mafia hitman and young girl learning to be a hitman. Um, the, the, this Can, was a good goddamn. Comic. This was a great and goddamn. Comic. I didn't read the old one. I have no frame of reference for this, and uh, I was super super impressed. I think the only thing that would have made it better is something Jeff and I aren't going to agree on, and I'm going to let him stew on that while. While he talks about it. Uh, he knows that I don't really like this art. <laughs> Did you not like the art in, in this one specifically? I think it worked pretty well here, but it, in general, isn't an art style I super love. This I, seemed like Oming leveled over. I don't know that it's a level up from Powers, but it's... it's. And I haven't been able to really get into Powers. But this was really, really good. And what I love is like these first four pages, this guy being thrown off a building and says, this is my father, was my father. And we have a double-page spread that is four giant vertical panels. Each page is divided into two giant vertical panels. And it's just slowly this guy falling down towards the ground. And there's a narration that's, you know, classic Bendis wordy, but... Even as wordy as Bendis is, he never feels that wordy to me. Like there's a there's a quickness to his dialogue, and the the diag like the boxes all just go diagonally from the top left down to the bottom right, and it uh, she's it's what you learn is that it's the child of this person talking about their father being thrown off this building, and she sort of starts to address like what did he think about as he was dying? Did he think for a second he could fly? Did he think he would bounce? Um, or did he think that he'd be one of those stories we'll talk forever? I wonder if he thought about me as the final thing, and then it just cuts to a textless page of his body obliterated on the ground. and In a car, on the street. And it's just like that. To me, that's a really powerful marriage of narration because as you're thinking about that, 
it's like a child having lost their parent talking about it just becomes an increasing, increasingly more masochistic way of processing it. Like at the kernel of somebody who's lost, you know, something when you're young, um, there's all this external stuff. The lighthearted nature of did he bounce? Do you think he could fly? Is way more lighthearted than the nucleus of that idea, which is like, I wonder if he thought about me. And that's sort of the final sentiment that then you turn this page. And I just feel like that sentiment is so well mirrored with this bloody, disgusting mass of felled human. It 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 just felt like the exact same thing to me. I, I think it was, I don't know, there was just this feeling of falling and then this feeling of like, bam, the heart of the issue. And it's bloody. Yeah, there's no question that A... He stopped falling, <laughs> and B, he did. Yeah, it's it. it there's a an abruptness to it, and and then yeah. So <laughs> it's basically this young daughter growing up, whose uncle has taken her in, and her uncle, a Robert Mitchum lookalike. Let's be honest. And she is growing up, becoming increasingly more murderous, and raised by a crime family. And just the sequences of her being integrated into this lifestyle through her uncle are so well told. Yeah. I cannot stop thinking about what you think we'll disagree on. What do you think of it, Roman? <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, the abruptness of the, of that that sequence where the father's falling, everything you said, plus it was so effective for me because these first few pages as he's falling, I loved the, the narration but I kept on being distracted by the art because I was like, you know, I just don't know if I'm in the Omin's art because it's so cartoony. I can't feel visually. I can't feel any drama from this. It's just too silly looking. And then you turn and then the you turn the page. It's like, you know, you and this person yeah. like impacts like a watermelon and just dis- it's disgusting and horrible. And like, well, that's not what I expected. Okay. The thing that Omin did in this issue that I don't get a whole lot of from Powers, and I've read most of Powers, uh, is that he's. He's playing with forced perspective in an, in a way that I haven't noticed before. Maybe he's done it some, but in Powers, when I think about that book, I think of tight shots on people's heads and bodies and not a whole lot of background. Hmm. And in this one, it's like again and again, he gives us some really cool establishing shot. That whole fall scene, there's like you can feel the motion in him spinning and falling through the air just based on how weird and, and bizarre the buildings are. I love the coloring, too. Yeah, it's this, very good coloring. right after that impact over her father, we flash back where she's um, going to school. And I don't think it's the fact it's green matters necessarily, but it just adds this kind of hint of a CPO, but not really. And then it's blue and then it's purple in the backgrounds when she's introduced to this person that she's supposed to kind of prove her mettle. Um, it's really well done. Jeff? I give it an 8.5. I give it a 9. I would have given it a 9.5 if it had better paper stock. Oh. <laughs> See, I, I don't have a problem with the paper stock. I really love the paper stock, but I <clears throat> I am curious what the darks would have been like on this on glossy cheap boy paper. Oh, you son of a gun. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I... Uh, <clears throat> I think the colors would have popped better. All I wanted to do was read this for the next six hours until it was done. I, mm. I totally agree, and I really want to read the volume before it yeah. that came out um, several years ago. So let's... Yeah, I'm s- curious about that. What, what do you give it, Ron? Oh, I'm sorry, Roman. Uh, I'll give it an 8. 8? 8. 8.5 and an 8. So while we're in this... I think I said 
Five, and you said nine. Oh, I said nine. You said oh, nine. Nine, nine, nine eight, eight and a half, eight. So that's a good score. That is a good score. Yeah. And while we're in this Bendis bucket, oh, let's Whoa. talk about cover. The bucket's going down just to give us a little bit more bit of water in this hole with these scary alligators, the rescuers down under. Are you sure they're not crocodiles? Oh, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch! I was going to cut that part out. No, I'm just kidding. Now I have Once. to leave it in. Once. Alligator, crocodile. That's got to be our intro. So you were going to cut it. my fucking joke no, out? No, I'm just kidding. I was doing that as a joke. I don't even remember if it was before we started recording or not. Now you have to cut it That's, out, don't now you? Now I have to leave it in. Um, cover number one by Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack. I was reading this... And I was really curious what you guys were going to think of it because I could really easily see both of you disliking it. Do you want scores before we talk about it? I want... Is that what you're saying? I want thumbs up or thumbs down. That's not concrete enough. I want scores before we start talking. No, I don't because it's going <laughs> to... The scores are going to be fine. Did you guys like this book? Yes. yes. I liked it very much. Yes. Thumbs way up. Okay. I thought there were four artists on this book. David David Mack did some things I haven't seen him do before, including stuff that looks a little bit like, almost like uh, James Stoko or uh, who's who's the guy that uh, Justin likes? Feral Dalrymple. No, his buddy. Um. Brandon Graham. Yeah. Like the the first sequence here has a real kind of bubbly but not bubbly Brennan Yeah, Graham that totally looks look like to Brennan Graham at the beginning for sure. And it's just kind of a mess of a convention and I think he really captured the the feeling of being at a convention and a little bit overwhelmed but totally tuned out and I'm sure for these guys that just go around and do conventions, it's like one thing bleeds into another. And that that was kind of the feel to it until this woman shows up and buys all of the art from this guy. And as... It talks him into paying more. Yeah. And as she talks to him more and impacts him more, the art of her face gets more and more detailed. And you can kind of see him focus on her a little bit more as she becomes more important to him. And I thought that was really interesting. And then we see his art, and it's totally different, but it's still David Mack. And then we see him at home, and it's a totally different art style, but it's still David Mack. And what I really liked, so this seems like a really autobiographical piece, and he's talking to his friend the whole time that is clearly Bendis. It's clearly his oh, bald okay. writer buddy oh, is who is planning the big summer event, and he gets to all these booms, like, you know, big oh. bangs and booms. And Thank like, you. these guys have been friends forever. And, and what I like is then there's, yeah, there's like, you know, she buys all the pages to this samurai comic that's clearly an analogy for Kabuki. Yep. Um, and then he's at home working on that, and he's just silhouetted, white, blank, uh, thinking about this art as he's drawing it. But then the more art he does, the more the story that is about this father-son dynamic starts coming into the silhouette of him. And he's he's no longer working on an exterior thing. He's The children and the father are now inside of him, and he's oh, pouring wow. himself into this work. He's pouring this connection with his father like that's no longer the silhouette behind him. It's the silhouette within him as he's creating, which is this incredible, profound statement to me about being an artist. How the fuck do you... How can you read this many comics and still juice that much? Like, 
Daddy issues, baby. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't get God, that. That you just said, I totally missed that because I was, you know, breezing through it. Breezing like a, through like it. Like oh, I gotta get to Guardians. Of the, yeah, I gotta was, get to Guardians of the Galaxy next. As I was reading this, I was thinking like I could see the guys not liking this, but I, it like demands being slowed down. Yeah, yeah. And and then to me, the art gets more detailed and more David Mack esque. In moments of connection, like when he's knowing a person. So mm-hmm. she runs into that woman that Jane was talking about at a second convention, and she's like, hey, we should go out to dinner. And it turns out she's like a CIA agent, and the most detailed that art sort of becomes is when she's actually talking about who she is. But then also the sunsets on the airplane. Yeah, I just love that Like he's an artist. And I, I know that like David Mack is... Like, Kabuki is a real personal thing to him. He's into, like, Eastern philosophy. He's into samurai and the artist life and, I think, thinking about things. So I just love that he drew these sunset things. Like, he's on the airplane, and when there's shots of the airplane, it's still Brandon Graham-esque thin lines. But looking out the window at that sunset, you can't deny. Like, he cannot not appreciate the natural art of life in a sunset. Like, yeah. he, he can view his normal life, but he's still totally uh, not immune to the beauty, and he can't even not convey that of, like, natural, like, jaw-dropping sunsets. I, Who knows really what what the relationship is between Bendis and his artists? Because at this point, it's Bendis and his artists. Right. And... It could be that David Mack wrote this and and Bendis scripted it, right? You know, and That's and true. I would, I would, totally support that as a creative team up. Also, yeah, yeah. This is way more. Let me restart that. This is deeper than I ever expected from the the little synopsis, little premise blurb we got in previews. Well, God damn it, it's deeper than I realized when I was reading it too. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> oh. You're welcome. And I've never read Kabuki. I, I assumed it was Lone Wolf and Cub he was referencing, but it's more Kabuki. I, I haven't even read all of Kabuki. I've I haven't read, read a any of issues, it. but um, that kid saying, "Father, why did you leave me?" That's the opposite of Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, I would give this. Oh gosh, I would give this a nine. If I read it again with all of Jeff's. Uh, Crazy shit Jeff in my head with all that Jeff juice Cucumber dripped all juice. over it. I would I would probably bump it up to a nine and a half. Um, I'm gonna I go think I had five also. Yeah. I had more fun reading it, reading the United States of Murder Inc. But this is a really really skilled comic, even more than I realized when I first read it. I think I agree exactly with. I think I think I'd go nine nine point five. I do think I enjoyed reading United States of Murder more, and I would pre- maybe prefer that as an ongoing comic book, but cover is maybe a book that I would want to have in a hardcover that kind of mm. means something. Yeah, yeah, I'll give this a 9.5. I'm looking forward to reading it again. And yeah, I had more fun reading the other one, but this one, this one's a, th- a thunker. It's a head-scratcher. <laughs> so my probably, and I want to introduce a new feature where at the end of the podcast we say what our favorite book of the week was. Oh, shit. Just because okay. I would love to hear what everyone's... So you like, can't say this is your favorite book. I was about to, but Can then you I, say that it's your favorite bait and switch? This is my favorite bacon switch. Bait and switch. This is my favorite ba- chicken bacon Swiss. <laughs> I agree, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, Silver Surfer for annual number Silver one. Silver Burper. By Ethan Sachs, who is writing Old Man Hawkeye, with ah. art by Andre Lehman Araujo, oh, who did... Um, she Could Fly? Yeah. Who did... Uh, no. Um, um, Generation Gone. 
yeah. and parts of FF. This is a different artist than the She Could, she could Fly. Wow, they're very similar. I th the ink style is, now that you mentioned, I didn't realize that, but the line work is really thin and manga-influenced, and, and you're right. Oh, man, hang on. I need a second to process all that, because I've been putting those guys together. This is not the Ice Cream Man guy. No. No. And this yeah, is a guy that we've been all about for a long time. Both of he them. He does very little. And the Ice Cream Man, yeah, not as long because he hasn't had quite as long of a career, but for sure. And this whole thing has been, this whole issue, like, right out of the gate was obviously an homage to Mobius. Right. So I, like, I was, I just smashed it all up into one person. Yeah. After I got past the cover, which looks nothing at all like the comic. No, and yeah, I prefer the cover. Still tan, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I preferred the other cover very much to the main color. This is a pretty simple story. I think it's it's an annual, right? It is. So it's got to be a one shot these days. Gone are the days of annual crossovers like Armageddon two thousand one. The end. So Galactus, it, it does a really good brief summary of how Norrinrad became Silver Surfer, and then it's basically Galactus saying, go get me food, go destroy a planet for me. So Silver Surfer does what he wants to do, which is find a planet that doesn't seem like it deserves to keep going on, because something needs to get destroyed, but he wants to preserve life, so he's going to find one that doesn't feel like it's going to have any great lasting positive effects. We find this planet that seems to have music coming from it, but it's just this war-torn planet with all these bugs destroying one another. And, like, eating each other's larvae, and they're just, they're just shitbags. The worst aspects of our own human life, like, our Earth is so present in what's going on on, on their Earth. But um, he's, you know, realizes he's about to do, this is the place he's going to call Galactus to, and he does call Galactus to it. But then he gets kidnapped by some other members of the planet, and it turns out that below the planet's surface are the evolved members of this society that are beautiful, who communicate through sound, who have this incredible ability to convey emotion, and there's these institutions that are built, and beautiful homes, and... The Silver Surfer realizes that he's now condemning this planet for death because he can't call Galactus off of it. And and they give him their song, which is the the entire history of everyone on the planet. Which right? you know I love. Look at them. Insects polluting their own planet and ensuring their own extinction. Too primitive to climb out of their cycle of war and hate. The universe would not miss them. And it's Earth that he's looking at that was too mean, huh? That's not how he talks. No, but it, no, but like, but that's exactly the point. Is like that's what he was feeling exactly that way when he found that last planet, right. and then he was proved wrong. And when you're willing to write off people, it's gonna bite you in the ass because there's beauty in all people. Human life is not a thing to be taken lightly. But I just like I was so in love with that metaphor, and I just mm -hmm. needed it that day, and I I loved the way it was presented. Yeah, the art and, and the art going into that sequence as he's approaching Earth, as he's mm. he's surfing across the the rings of Saturn, so which he's good. done that before, but we've never seen it that way. I mean, it's just it's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I would I would give this book full marks just for the art. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the the message is a little bit heavy handed. Oh, but yeah. uh, oh. Well, you know, as soon as like, especially the last panel, because there's the moon, you know, it's going to be Earth on the next page. I oh, I got I... five pages in, and I knew it was going to be about Earth. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Yeah, you didn't. You don't need the moon to know. But that. it. But what struck with me was that 
while that's not immediately, while that's immediately apparent to me, it's not going to be for some people, and those people need to read this, mm-hmm. yeah, and they yeah. need to be surprised because there are too many people writing people off. That's a good point. And 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 besides their art and culture, the the bugs that are inside the planet. They also have obviously superior technology because they're able to knock out the Silver Surfer, right? And contain them. It's, yep. it's pretty amazing. And live beneath the yeah, earth. They're so, they're so advanced. Yeah. I would give this book an eight and a half. Like, like art, art supersedes any clunkiness in the story for me, um, and I, I think it's a, a really good positive message, and a real bummer to be Norrin Rad. <laughs> that guy, man, yeah, this, this that poor had, guy had yeah, a great. He's... Write up at the end, also just a little paragraphs from each each of the the writer and artist. I did, and that quick way they recapped his origin, and visually showing uh, well the manga influence the panel where him imagining if Galactus destroyed Zen Law and Shalabal like starting to melt there and yeah. screaming. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, you really see the Silver Surfer's motivation there. Uh, I'd give this one a nine point five. I I I do agree that. I don't know, I want to say necessarily predictable because it took turns that I wasn't expecting, but I did kind of understand quickly that the message that was being made was, you know, one of not judging people. Mm-hmm. But the art was so good and it was a subject matter that was so perfect for the art. And I, I really like this writer. I, I want, between this and Old Man Hawkeye, I'm very excited to see what he does next. Um, so 9.5, I, I enjoyed it the most this week, I think. Yeah, I'll do it for a 9.5 also. Even though the fact they put this old classic font here on the text piece in the back, who speaks for the surfer? <laughs> Is that what they called the old panel letter I page or something? I don't know. I don't think so necessarily. Since but it's an annual, I wouldn't maybe be surprised. It maybe it is. I don't remember. That's Roman, have you been reading the Silver Surfer since day one? Since 1943. Uh, you guys you guys want to hear a voicemail? More than anything we, in the sure. world. We got a voicemail from Boys. hell. Hello, this is Raymond Villalobos. My name is spelled R-A-M-O-N-V-I-L-L-A-L-O-B-O-S, and it's actually not pronounced Raymond Villalobos at all. It's pronounced Ramon Villalobos. And (laughs) I'm calling in because today is September 5th, and Border Town is out, and Django is asking me to do an interview, and I said, absolutely, I will do it. Um, except for I missed his message completely and I forgot to call him back to do this segment that I'm doing right now, like three years ago. So, um, uh, yeah, my name is pronounced Ramon Villalobos and read Bordertown. Uh, we guarantee a religious experience. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I really wanted to, uh, tweet on Tuesday when I read this that it was a religious experience and I didn't just because I thought a lot of people would do it and I didn't want to be a cliche because he's been talking about that for like a couple weeks uh, that it's a guaranteed religious experience it's such a fucking good book yeah Ramon thank you so much Um, I'm a huge fan of this guy's art I got a commission from him like a year and a half ago almost two I got a picture of Frank Quitely Oh yeah, <laughs> um, which is what started it all, and uh, and dude, super generously and incredibly beautifully drew a picture of Frank Quietly for me that I'm excited to hang on the wall of the new place that I'm moving into right now. 
I seriously talked to him three years ago about this. Yeah. And I, he's like, he recognized me this, the next time I went to a convention and saw him, he recognized me and like apologized and was super embarrassed and then kept doing that at every <laughs> other convention I saw him at. Uh, I, I never thought we'd get this from him. Dude, dude rules. Dude has an awesome uh, passion for sneakers and drawing sneakers. Yep. Also apparently has a huge passion for wrestling, so I want to talk to him about that. Uh, and clearly has a huge passion for Frank Whiteley. So this is, uh, this is written by a writer whose name is not in the first half Eric of the comic. M. Esquivel. Well, there we go. And uh, drawn by Raymond Villalobo. Ramon Villalobos. There you go. Um, with colors, and I think that's important in this book, by T- Tamara Bonavillain. I think there's a glossy paper shortage in the world, but I'm not going to hold that against this comic. Uh, <laughs> I think that the art pops on this paper. <laughs> I think I like, it looks like, so good on this paper. Uh, me too. Plus, I, I like it because glossy paper makes my, my toxic things... Bleed the ink. And it's thin and it absorbs moisture. That that didn't happen on any of these comics this week. No, sir. This comic is about a kid who is forced to move to, uh, where did he move to? Devil's Devil's Fork, Arizona uh, with his mom and and her new husband. And so he's the new kid in school and kind of accidentally makes friends with this Aryan Nazi kind of dude in high school, and uh, meanwhile, in the background, we've got all these demons that are kind of the worst of us coming across the border. And I don't know if it's the Mexican border or the border between worlds, or maybe it's both. I think it's both. Both. And uh, man, it's it's beautifully drawn and well written, and the. Like, for the last page, I just handed the comic to Erica and showed her this horrible hell monster. It looks like something so from The Invisibles. It looks like something it, from Maestros. It's... Yeah, a, a whole lot to look at here and a, a nice, compelling, creepy story. So what I love... Yeah, I love that this is a, a compelling, creepy story that deals so much with i guess xenophobia um basically we have this evil spirit that has the ability to take the 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 physical embodiment of whatever a person fears most and i think that and it's so awesome because it's dim, like if it's a and you know illegal immigrant it appears like an ICE person if it was these people fighting it appeared as cops there's a batman fan and it appears as bane um, <laughs> I laughed out loud at that. Yeah, like the older woman says, urban teenager. And I don't know, I think that I think that, that seems to be like what a lot of racial prejudice is, which is just un, it's an unfounded thing that is a weakness within somebody to project, like who's finding an end to project their biggest fear on somebody. And it's way less about the person and way more about their fear. Yeah, like that's what, like intolerance of whether it's like you know, um, like sexual intolerance, racial intolerance, gender intolerance. It seems to be that person's flaw and having a fear and then finding a target that they can put it on, and to just make the villain overtly a thing that takes the physical form of what they fear most. And dude's art has gotten so good. Yeah, 
What What do you think, Roman? I loved it. I'm not familiar with this artist at all, but um, so this is my introduction. But uh, I love this issue, and I love the fact that it it was already interesting enough with the kid moving into the border town and the xenophobia and everything. But then when it gets into the the chupacabra getting to the border gate and then ripping open another gate and going into its own dimension to to Mictalon, the Aztec underworld, that was like, whoa, there's a whole other level to this. And the art, the way he draws. Kirby. Yeah, Kirby, but also Kirby got this from, I mean, there there's Aztec art right. that we've seen that has these kind of shapes and everything. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah, a lot of Kirby stuff actually was really influenced by Aztec. Yeah. 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 And I need to look out. I'm really curious to look up how to pronounce the the Lord of the Dead. <laughs> Here, I'm not going to try to do it because it's multiple syllables in another language. And I'm not going to embarrass myself. Did you uh, Did you notice this? This stood out to me last night when, during the the fight after school in the Jack in the Box parking lot. Like the page starts big, and it just like the panels start condensing and condensing while the fight gets more and more intense. Mm -hmm. And like I actually thought about the process that would go into deciding that that was the way to do it as I was reading it. And that doesn't usually happen until I step back and, and read something. But I got into that and I was like, holy cow, this is this is getting more and more intense for me as a reader. Yeah. Um, and I hope this doesn't sound diminutive, but there are straight up panels here where I would I could believe that they're a Frank Quietly panel. And yeah. that is literally the highest compliment I can pay to somebody. <laughs> it is... Uh, yeah, that yeah. it's it's yeah. it's really really amazing. Yeah, a couple of these had to remind myself it wasn't right. So um, yeah, for for a, oof. for a comic book creator who like I feel like this is his his first like I think thing that he can hang his cap on. Well, I mean, and again, I I'm not familiar with this writer at all, so I don't want to just focus on Ramon because. Uh, He's the one I'm familiar with because no, the writing will, was good. I will read a lot of bad writing with good art, and this has good writing and good art. Right. Like this, if if the story wasn't great in this, I would still probably read every issue of it. Just because it's a joy to look at Just these panels. It's fun, to, fun to read and fun to look at. But yeah, this this whole whole package, um, drawings, colorings, and writings are. Heavens to Betsy, and he just deserves this. I think, like, I think that he's at a point where he, he deserves to get a book that, like, this that he can have on his resume is a really amazing book. And I, I think that this is the perfect time for this book from the perfect creators. And yeah. I'm just really grateful to have it around. What do you give it? Um, I give it a nine. Me too. I give it a like a really high score. I think the art was some of the best art I saw this week, and I think the writing is fantastic as well. Um, I, I love, like Roman said, the twist that it took at the end to make it a little bit more layered, and yeah. I love that like he opens this you know gateway to hell on the border as well, which just like thickens the metaphor of othering yeah. people on the other side of a border, whatever it is, dimensional, spiritual, or just on a stupid lion line what do you think Rome dog <laughs> I'm debating because I'm because I'm trying to I don't know what you were doing <laughs> um, trying to decide which I liked better now this or cover because I was thinking of giving this like 10 hand of glories but do uh, it but okay I will 
Because, yeah, yeah. This, this was more fun than cover. <laughs> <laughs> that was Roman's peg leg hitting that was the ground. Rome, the Rome, My dropping the Rome leg. dong. I love when he it's anchors a, this ship down. It's just a beautiful book. Okay, so this is, hey, everybody, this is Jay, Captain Jay Fig on the horn here. It's Jeff, Jeff here. Doing a Dino impersonation. Because <laughs> um, we got an email from one of our favorite subscribers who has uh, left a couple of voicemails. Dude, um, we got a voicemail this week and an email this week. I love it. I love Let's it. Let's keep this train going, people. Yes, everybody looking at you. Hey, Jeff, Django, and Roman. I love the show. You mentioned possibly changing the name of the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, so that made my head brain think of David Letterman. He used to take... He used to have a top ten list on his late night talk show. Jeff, if you don't know Letterman, ask Django or Roman since they're 36. They should remember him. That was funny. So without further ado, the top ten possible names for the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. Ten. Perfectly Acceptable Comic Booking Reviews. Nine. You kids better not be spoiling in their podcast. That's a throwback. Well done. Eight. Creators call us with the pronunciations of their names podcast. Um, that's been a bit that hasn't been around in a while, but Roman came through. And by Roman, I mean Django. Seven. I think you mean Ramon. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that funny. Ramon. Yeah. You're right. Because I just said Roman because I confuse uh, Django and Roman's names all the time. Um, seven. Best damn Batman podcast. Six. Bill Forgetti's podcast. I like that. Five, X-23 is the best podcast. That's just a you thing, Dino. Four, <laughs> comics, comics, comics. That's an interesting one because it's comics, exclamation mark. Comics, comics, exclamation mark. So <laughs> Comics, comics, comics. The comics best in the Northwest podcast, number three. Two, hey, spoilers podcast. <laughs> eh, and number one, perfectly awesome podcast. Thanks for 100 great episodes. Can't wait for 100 more. Dino23. P.S. If you feel like it, feel free to read on the show. You treated this like a comic <laughs> letter. I love it. Hey, listen, guys. If you're going to write in, make sure that you let you you label that as uh, okay to print. Okay to print. <laughs> listen, Dino. Django, D Django sunk my ship yesterday. He texted me after driving all day and said, I've been thinking about this for 12 hours on the road from state to state. We can't rename the podcast. You're a coward for backing out. We, we signed up for Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. You just get in line and let Roman swing his third leg around. But can't we, like, alter it and add comics to it, at least? He didn't say any of that stuff. <laughs> it already has comics in the title. It doesn't it does? have comics it in the title. Does. It does the not. The title of the podcast on iTunes and on every other platform that it shows up on is Perfectly Acceptable Podcast by The Comics Place. But it has the word comics literally in the title. It's not Perfectly Acceptable Podcast by The Comics Place. It's the, the entire title okay. includes comics. But if you were to search... Comics podcast. It doesn't show up. Interesting, right? You want to know why? Because we don't have enough reviews. Not enough reviews, not enough stars, not enough subscriptions. So go into your mom's phone. She probably doesn't even use podcasts. Subscribe her to it and give us a, a rating. I don't it doesn't even need to be a positive rating. You can pretend that your mom hates our podcast, but give us a rating. Let iTunes or whatever platform you're on know that you're aware of us, and they will help push us up in the listings, and then we won't have to ask for this anymore because it'll just be, it's like a big old snowball. Okay. 
<laughs> and that was a clerk's reference. No, so listen, everybody, you gotta help me because if you don't do it, this giant chasm between Django and I is only going to get larger. You have to help heal this wound. I need y'all to write a review, get a star rating, do that mom thing that Django was talking about, or your sister, or your significant <laughs> other, or whatever. But get those ratings, get those subscriptions, because I want to be able to find our podcast if I type the search field comics podcast. That would be super dope, because as it stands, you got to look up Perfectly Settable Podcast or the Comics Place that does it. But no one looks up the Comics Place. Are you on Reddit? I don't spend any time on Reddit. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your fans. Are you on Reddit? Get on there. You Tell love people a po- about it. Yeah, our comic books, our Marvel. RDC, R Image, R Vertigo, any of those subreddits, get on there. Say, I love this podcast. They are doing 100 episodes. They rule. Um, maybe they'll listen to it. We're going to get more guests. We're going to get more folks. Mm. We're going to, we've got, hey, listen, Django closed down his other side boat and he's going to put all of his boat money into this yacht that we've been building up here. What boat? Pretty soon, this will boat is going to be. A solar-powered stellar boat, and Justin will be behind the wheel. It's gonna smell good. It's gonna smell like dust and farts because it's Jenga's. But <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all I of that. just took all of the wind. Ninety out seconds of out of a buck bu- oh, shot. Go. Fuck me. Thanos <laughs> fuck Legacy, <shots. laughs> number one by Donny Cates, uh, Brian Level, and Jordan Boyd. This was interesting because I didn't read the Thanos series that I Donny Cates wrote. I fucking can't believe that shit. Oh my god! That was not amazing. And so I just read this, and it was basically a recap of that, and then that new series that I'm also not reading, where Thanos gets uh, decapitated. Uh, so I don't know what part of this is recap and what part of this is new story, but I liked it. <laughs> I liked it okay. Donny Cates doing his Donny Cates thing. Um, and then there's a, a backup story that is almost exactly half of the book by uh, Jerry Duggan and Corey Smith drawing it with Ruth Redman on colors. That one was just kind of a wordless story about Thanos sending Gamora down to a planet to kill somebody and she tries to trick him and he ain't fooled. And you know what happens? He blows up the whole planet because she wouldn't kill one person. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was great. Um, maybe I should read that other Thanos story. <laughs> I should say so. <laughs> Although at this point, who knows? Maybe I've seen everything. You that really, I care really about. haven't. Okay. Well, maybe I will. Uh, this is the first time I've only had one comic in a in a buckshot for a long time. You were across the the, the states. For so, you got back late last night. So many states. I did so many quotes for Seattle this morning, while I would normally be reading comics. Like my my other business blows up when I go out of town, and it's great. Oh yeah, well my other business when you're out of town, um, I it gets I make ice cream, and Jeff I, go oh, sorry. Death of Inhumans number three by Donnie Cates and Ariel Oliveri on art. This was um, not quite as strong of an issue as the first two, but I still really, really liked it. Um, they've got a, a t- like a sort of head, head, uh, hoodless 
Black Bolt with kind of shaved hair. I think Black Bolt looks better uh, totally in his slick black and gray costume. Mm -hmm. um, there's too much weakness here. But he is running around with a gun, and that's pretty cool. And his voice doesn't work that well. And he's, and he's alive. He's alive. They did, in fact, just slit his throat like we thought. But um, it is true that Lockjaw is dead, and Karnak goes to Beta Ray Bill and tells him Lockjaw is dead. And Beta Ray Bill has just got a big old beard. Beta Ray Beer Belly um, uh, comes out and he is bummed about Lockjaw. Um, so that's pretty cool. I did like Thanos' legacy quite a bit and it did a really good job of filling in the gaps of that Thanos wins arc and connecting it to the Infinity Wars good to know. thing. Um, it does not summarize that whole series. There's a, there's a lot of stuff in it that is pretty cool. Justice League number seven, Scott Snyder, Jim Chung. I would prefer the Jorge Menez art. Jim Chung, you can leave. Um, <laughs> you cannot stick to a book, which is sort of your mo. But this is, uh, yeah, pretty pretty great stuff. It just was a really great Hawk Girl issue, and I can't remember literally ever reading one of those. And Jeff Johns, and by that I mean John Stewart uses his ring in a cool way. <laughs> and Aquaman from out of nowhere, like summons a couple megalodons. Sure does. And Starman <laughs> shows up. Yeah, and the dead Starman shows up. And spoilers, the Batman who laughs shows up. And so, that was the I all I could hear was Justin being like, "Hey, I'm Scott Snyder, and you remember this old character I created? Well, I'm bringing him back because in like episode issue of eleven of Scott Snyder's New Fifty Two run, uh, when he brings up, oh shit, I don't even remember. At the end of the Court of Owls thing, like he just he has a habit of bringing back characters that he created. I forget when Justin did such a good job of poking a hole in a thing, but anyway, Justin's great. Uh, I love him, and he was right. And Scott Snyder, I love you. You're writing more and more fun books. I don't really like... Did you read this one, Django? I didn't. I actually saw the cover and dismissed it as a garbage comic. It's good. And I, the... I believe you, but I flipped through it today, and I got tired just looking at how many words were in... So many word bubbles. I can't remember if I actually said it on the podcast, but they go back and pay off on the joke where in like issue one they're all doing their Batman impersonation. Mm -hmm. And I remember like feeling or thinking at that time, like he's gonna come back to this. Like they did it just one too many times, like they're gonna come back to this joke. When did they do it? In, in the like, last issue? issue one of his Justice oh, League. They, oh, they, yeah. it pays off in this? Yeah. Oh, nice. Because then I think everybody says that like Superman is the best Batman mm -hmm. voice, and then you know, Superman makes fun of Batman. And it's just right. like this doesn't feel like, um, it's just weird how much Scott Snyder's changed his voice for comics in the last like year or two. Yeah, I'll read it. I, I've been enjoying this series. I just flipping through it though. It looks like Greg Capullo got inked by John Romita Jr. Yeah, uh, on a bad day. Yeah, um, that's kind of Jim Chunk. His all of his faces not, look the same. It's, it's not great, terrible, but it's like yeah, all, all his faces I think are the same shape, which is a problem for me. But it looks, I kind of like it. It's perfectly Jesus acceptable. Christ. And I'm real curious. He, I mean, he brought back Will Payton, the one of the dead Starmans, except he's got Jack Knight's star staff, which is like, but Courtney Whitmore, the Star Spangled Kid, Star Woman, whatever she's called now, she has that. From so Jeff Lemire's killer Justice League United series. Jeff Lemire didn't write that, did he? Yeah. Really? She had the staff before that, didn't well, she? Well, I, I don't know. That's the most recent thing I saw oh. her in oh. was uh, New 52 Justice League United. Listen, maybe yeah. Scott Snyder does what he wants, Roman. Oh, oh, that that's fine. I, I'm just super curious because, like, I liked that Star Man, and he's an obscure character now. 
Can I ask you a different question? Sure. How much do you like owning 90 seconds? I read War Bears number one by Margaret Atwood and Ken Stacy. Uh, this was a really fun comic. It's set in the in Toronto in the 1940s, the, the opening of World War II, about a young wannabe comic book artist. Gets a job at a studio there, starts drawing. There's this character um, named... War Bear? No, actually, no. It's uh, <laughs> it, it must be French-Canadian or... Orsonette, Orsonet, um, but she's a were bear, and she has a couple <laughs> bears that hang out with her and fight Nazis. But the main story is just this artist kid and him starting his career in the 40s, and this has the feel of a great 40s-style pulp comic book. It's a lot of fun. There's lots of lots of tropes and everything. The characters they play with, their editor, editor-in-chief, is a tough-as-nails woman. Um, it's just fun. It's way better than Margaret, Margaret Atwood's first comic she did. Yeah, something Catbird Cat. that I read that. And I, 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 it was a struggle to finish. This was a lot of fun. 30 seconds. And it ties into the history of Canadian comics. 20 Golden seconds. age Canadian comics. And Elric the White Wolf, number one, which I really loved. Great art. It's really fun. This captures Elric very well. It's gloomy and depressing and heroic and sad. And action-packed, and and lots of messages about the soul and the things you do to your soul to, to either purify it or, or be cursed forever. Oh, I'm lost love. <laughs> I'm flipping through this war bears. The art is it's pronounced were bears. This were bears. <laughs> I didn't give scores. Did you guys give scores on yours? No. Okay, I never mind. Do that. Okay. We don't have time for it today. Immortal Hulk number five. Al Ewing, what's noticeable about this issue is that it had fill-in pages, which is a bummer. Joe Bennett did the main art, and then Rui Jose, Rui Jose did the fill-in pages. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I didn't notice any fill-in pages. To me, this art in the middle of it looked way different, and I don't know if it's a different inker, but um, this looked way different to me than this. Um, or like the colorist. There's a very different thing happening in the middle of this book. Did um, they change paper stock in the middle? Oh, oh my <laughs> God, you're right. They changed paper stock in the middle. I, I thought of something. I hate to derail this. No, you're good. When they collect these DC comics, do you think they're going to collect it on the new paper stock or on the old paper stock? Okay. Because I think that that's going to... That's going to bother me even more if they Listen, switch. somebody's conversation is going to get cut when we edit this thing, and I don't want anyone's feelings to get hurt. It can we're, be this one. I don't we're care. We're either going to cut the dreaming, care. we're either going to cut the Immortal Hulk entirely, or we're going to cut this tangent. But something <laughs> is going to get cut because we don't have time. But you're right, and I want to talk about it. I think that collection paper stock lives as a separate thing to, than this paper stock. So you're saying that the paper stock... I can't believe this is like a month and a half of this. Yeah, but they missed the episode two weeks ago in Moonbase where we talked a lot about oh, it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, so I guess for me, the paper stock is part of the experience. Right. And when you change it, it changes that experience. Um, the end. No, no, you're totally right. And what you had said on the podcast that we lost was that you're not going to dig when a story has two issues in, gone from glossy paper stock to this different paper stock, because it does change the experience. And I agree with that. Um, I think that's unfortunate timing for some series. I think things like Border Town lucked out by having their issue one after mm -hmm. the change. I think that when a thing is printed, they will print it one way entirely or the other. Yep. 
I really like older paper stock, and this stuff feels to me like older paper stock. But newer collections can either have older paper stock or newer paper stock. We can't keep saying the word paper stock because it's going to make the word not mean anything. I wonder if you were to weigh these comics. What? Oh, my God. This is this is so, like, <laughs> off the... Ra- like, yes, you're right. No, we have to do an entire podcast about paper stock at this point, and we love it and care about it and think it's interesting, and people are going to be like, what the fuck are you doing with an entire episode where you're weighing the difference in paper stock? I'm going digital. <laughs> <laughs> I, what... Paper stock, do you think the digital experience is trying to emulate? Uh, it's garbage. It's it's light being thrown at your eyes. It's violent. Agreed. But in terms of, like, the difference that we pointed out, which is, like, Glossy. that um, the there was one particular ad we were looking at for the Batman Damned thing. Yeah. And it did show a different amount of lighting between the two. I wonder which the digital experience it's shows. It's showing you the, the glossy one, the more detailed yeah. one. Um, like, the one that has... Um, Less bleed in the inks. That was something else that didn't. Ha- that, we that we talked about on the podcast. They got lost. But yeah. but dot um, pitch, I think, is what it was called. Uh, dot gain. Dot gain. Dot pitch is the uh, angle of the halftone dots, I believe. So, Immortal Hulk. Roman, you and I are loving this book. Django's still not reading it, which is why he wants to fucking talk about dot gain. No, exactly. <laughs> I am loving. Oh. <laughs> um. I don't know where to start with this. It was so good. You know, I'll start right here. Sasquatch is the most disturbing he's ever looked. Yeah, he's looking more and more like... He's got this weird (laughs) extended neck. (laughs) I thought he was joking when he said Sasquatch before. No, no, no. He's... Yeah, you're good. Oh, yeah. Sasquatch, it's like Magneto. Whatever. Sasquatch sounds like 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 magnets or whatever. No, I get it. Like it. Yeah, you got a great life, and your life has led you to pronounce it that way, and I support you. Um... I bet that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. Uh, this was a good issue. It was. It was. Um, I love that they got. Into, <laughs> I love that they got into like some psychology. You so far, all the issues have been focusing on kind of the just the Hulk as the scary monster catalyst that exposes the dark soul of someone, makes them face their darkness. In this issue, the Hulk has to face his own internal conflict and darkness and it's and it's pretty scary um and the art i was really impressed with the hulk's expressions especially in his eyes you see the hulk being afraid being very afraid being terrified don't stop (laughs) uh i'm still wondering well i'm still wondering about this this difference jeff saw because now i'm Looking at this panel, going, yeah, that is. Kinda... It's really, really different, but it almost could just be an inking difference, or somebody was ru- like, if the inker was rushed, or or the color, I don't know. Most of the art has a sort of Alan Davis feel, and there's like two pages in here where it really departs from that. Yeah. Um, but it could have just been somebody's rough, rough or quick day. What I I really like is that this has yeah continued that mythos that with the exposure to gamma radiation there is this concept or construct really inside us called the green door which is a gateway to some sort of lower psyche or possibly just like extra extra dimensional almost like life force and the longer this door is left open um, the more that what is on the other side of that door comes through so it's very Jungian it's very um, the the repressed repressed consciousness coming out that gamma sort of leaves it open to and i just 
having never really grasped Hulk stuff, this idea or conversation about it gave me the hooks to really dig it. And I, I hope that it's not disrespectful to the overall mythos of the Hulk because I, I really like it, but it does feel a little bit like a departure from the way the Hulk has gone in the past. Is that true? Mm. Um, I don't really think so. In the in the recent in the recent past, maybe, but it does harken back to both Peter David's run on the Hulk, which I think Pete, I could be wrong, but I think Peter David is the one that first introduced all the all the stuff with the Hulk's abusive father and and the Hulk Bruce Banner hating his father, um, and also even earlier than that, the first six issues of the Hulk ever where he was not a raging dummy, but he could only, it was the Jekyll and Hyde thing. He could only turn in the Hulk at night, and but he was still intelligent, just kind of really strong and kind of brutish. And, and but he had that, that uh, metaphor of becoming the monster at night and becoming the, the frail man during the day. So I, I think it's kind of just incorporating all that stuff that's been introduced over however many years of the Hulk since 1962. Yeah. And I really like in this the visual stuff showing kind of the union symbols with every time, almost every time the Hulk looks in a mirror or a window, you see, get a glimpse of, of that interior psyche mm-hmm. and, and the, deep, the deeper problems. I guess, I, and I also really love that throughout this whole run, if I could almost boil it uh, down to a single sort of phrase they brought back, is that when you look into a mirror, there are two people. There's the person looking into the mirror and the person looking back at you. Yeah. And I really like that. I think that is a very uh, a deep metaphor that you can unpack in a lot of different ways. And I, I, they've done such a good job of dancing with that metaphor and creating stories around that and... I don't, I don't, Django, I do, I really want you to read it. I want to hear what you think about it. I don't know if you would love it. Um, I just read, I spot read that issue just now while you guys were talking. Yeah. And it looks awesome. It's really awesome and it's really deep. It, it is not Donny Cates-esque in many ways, but is in other ways. Like it's, it's kind of quick and it's big and it has impactful punches it's very hulk-like in its nature um it never feels like it's going to take a ton of work to get through i'm always excited to read it this whole issue looks basically like a punch em up but while they're doing it it's got some some really interesting plot twists during during the fighting and and in the immediate aftermath, that's, and like that takes some skill to write that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it does. And Al Ewing, Roman has been a huge Al Ewing fan since like the moment I recognized the name. And, and I love Sasquatch poking the Hulk's eye. Saul Squatch. Saul Squatch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doing that, and the Hulk still fighting for a few pages there with just his green blood oozing out of his eyes. And the transformation of Saul Squatch to uh, Walter was so grotesque. Yeah. Yeah, and at the end, his Walter's fear, you kind of see in his face that that maybe he can't become Bigfoot anymore. <laughs> I, uh, the, uh, the line that I read in there uh, where Hulk says, like, it keeps your green door open, doesn't it? I That made me uncomfortable, but maybe it was because I read it in the wrong voice. Well, and that's what I mean is, like, gamma radiation is forcing this, like, it's not even a doorway. It's, like, in your brain, it's like they're, you know, like they're, 
poking a hole in the membrane of your brain and through that is this access to a different place. And it, it's just, it's like if you take acid and you can't shut off a line of thinking anymore. It's like this, un, you can't come back from this place anymore. And there's this door that's been opened. And once you open a door, you can't close it. And, and there is something on the other side. And I think that it does this book a, a, a service that they're not defining it as saying the Hulk is on the right. other side. But there is this thing that maybe is a single person or a collective unconscious or maybe it's a manifestation of ourself that is trying to get out and takes over us. And that's the part that I really like is what is this green door? What's on the other side? And what is our relationship to it? And and they've largely left that as a thing that we are to make sense of ourselves. And yeah. I think that that is, is really cool. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that they... Brought in, brought in Sasquatch to uh, to mirror that. To mirror <laughs> Salmon Squatch, Sal Salito Squatch. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the way it's pronounced. Um, but they bring him Nobody in. And ever has pronounced it like no, no. They they sure have, and I think that, I mean I think that it's not as wrong as we feel like it is, but it's just yeah, a great so. Roman bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, all I'm picturing in my head now is is sauce as in a that you pour on something. Sal Salito Squatch. <laughs> But the fact that they introduced that with uh, maybe Carol Danvers pointing out to pointing out to him that you know you haven't been Walter in months, what's going on? And then the Hulk points out later it has this great psychological insight during the battle, where he's like, "Well, yeah, you don't you don't want to be your human self because nobody ever cared about the jock; they just want the big monster because he's useful, and you're not useful." I give this one an eight point five. I don't think it was my favorite of the series, but like the fact that I. I mean, this pumped about a, a Hulk book really blows my mind. Mm. That last look on the Hulk's face. <laughs> Jeez. Damn. <laughs> um, it's, it's very, very good. What so do you give? Good. I'll, I'll give? I'll give this one a 9.5. Yeah. Guys, we got to read books we don't like sometimes. I so know. that people, like, we have a baseline of a book that we give a uh, two. There are definitely weeks that I feel bad about Adventures not of the liking Super Sons number two, and I would give that like a four. There nice. you go. It's good for <laughs> you. Go. You're They're welcome. Gleason and Tomasi or whoever's doing that one now. we got to get out of here so that Jeff doesn't have such a hard time editing this podcast. Although he's got some days off, so fuck him. Yeah, fuck <laughs> that guy. Let's take his days off. Let's turn him into editing days. He's uh, already making them moving days. Yeah, well, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Wake up, edit, move, finish editing. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, buddy. Guys. I can, I can handle all this stuff on my plate. Let's, uh, let's see. Let's we eat. told people to call in. We we asked them to uh, email us and review us. We thank Nick Waite for his music because um, yeah. he's great. We really appreciate you as a human. You're back from Spain. That's great. And thanks for the music. Um, thanks to Ramon Villalobos yes. for calling in, telling us how to pronounce his name. Thank you, Dino Chapman, for that wonderful email. You are a stellar human being. And we're going to get him on to talk about an issue of X-23 at as some long, point between one and seven. As long as he mm. never tells us that his name is D23 again. Yeah, that was the worst <laughs> part of the podcast. <laughs> he loved that part. I and think. just my whole day, actually. <laughs> uh, I think you have gosh. a thing for that. Oh, right. That was a Roman nickname that he was really pumped about. Yep, Dino was like, hey, he thanks. Came. I like that. I'm going to call him X20D. That's better. <laughs> X20D. Listen, I'm half Braden, half Roman. I'm Jeff, and I'm just half who I used to be and half Django, so I guess that means I'm a quarter Braden, a quarter Roman, and a, a half Jeff. 
I'm Django, and I You just did, am, you. Oh. Yeah, you already did. Dang it, I wanted to be the Ouroboros end of the mouth eating your tail. Well, you can have my tail any day of the week, Django. Is eating ass a thing on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roman, who the fuck are I'm, you? I'm, I'm Roman. I'm the half Roman and half Namor, the Avenging Sun. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna have to follow up. <laughs> That's the part. That's the part. Follow up on Django's. <laughs> I really don't know what it is. Oh, man. <laughs>